Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Life's so full on, I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings <laughs> with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you good folks. Uh, it's uh, 9.03 here on SENZ as we march our way very firmly to midday today on this uh, Wednesday little bit misly and drizzly down there, uh, down here in Hawke's Bay. I see through Izzy's window, it was quite nice and fine uh, in Christchurch. And uh, to those people in Auckland, of course, uh, our continued uh, sympathies with you in terms of having to stay in that level that you're at now. But uh, I guess you're getting so used to it now that uh, each day is sort of mingling into the next. Mm. Okay, let's uh, move on. What have we got today? We have got tennis for you very shortly. Julie Patterson, the CEO of New Zealand Tennis. Mark Ginty on some cricketing matters uh, and reliving uh, being bombed out of Pakistan all those years ago. He was on that tour. Mark Hinton and Guy Havelt will be on the panel. Brody Retallick, yeah, All Black Captain number 71 will join us uh, live from Australia. Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawati uh, will be talking horse racing and betting. Of course, we are a betting station, aren't we? Greg Murphy. Uh, from uh, motor racing fame, of course, just around the road, actually, in Hawke's Bay, too. Uh, so Murph will be uh, keeping us up to date uh, on some uh, motor racing matters. And Alan McElroy will be our sports no-joke victim of the day. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. Well, it's been 17 long years since a Black Caps team has arrived en masse in Pakistan for anything like an eight-match cricket tour. 19 years since the Stephen Fleming-led team were forced out of Karachi on a hastily arranged flight, having witnessed a terrorist blast nearby their hotel and the carnage that resulted. Appalling devastation and human suffering, lifelong haunting memories to endure, lifelong consideration as to whether they were, in fact, the intended targets. No such conjecture in 2009 when in Lahore, the Sri Lankan cricket team was, uh, had their bus attacked by a group of masked terrorists en route to the Gaddafi Stadium. Five players were injured, six security and two civilians were killed. So for this Tom Latham-led squad, it is a time to dip the old toe back in the water, get back to business. We all know uh, the security levels for this team will be at an all-time high. Bulletproof buses, legions of armed guards, Likely ground invaders will be met with AK-47s as opposed to 20 stone red badge security guards ready for hot pursuit. That won't happen. It won't be that funny. Cricket and strictly confined hotel living will be the only order of the day. One of the great pities of this squad, they won't get to experience real life in Pakistan. It's truly a fascinating place. 
some of my fondest memories and most vivid memories come from visits there in the 80s. Way too many for this sermon, except to say that fully efficient bathroom plumbing was a joy. Sleeping with your trusty grey nickels to ward off invaders of the rodent kind at night. The odd excursion to the American club in Lahore was like going to Vegas with cold Budweiser's and a hot dog that was pure bliss. Winning was nigh on impossible. Correspondence, well no emails, no Skype, uh, writing letters was a lot of fun. And actually going to the letterbox when you get home to beat them home and, and get and pick them out yourself was even much more fun. That was the, the speed of correspondence back in those days. And I still have a highly knotted, beautiful, woven hallway carpet to remind me of those days. And it does get up my nose when my son's puppy piddles on it occasionally. Looking back, it was quite fun. Very team building and a thoroughly worthwhile experience. 30 plus years on, there is one apparent similarity before a ball is even bowled. Local umpires and no DRS. My God, they are going to have to play well. Seven here on SENZ, uh, Sunday's US uh, Tennis Open final between the teenagers Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez was one for the ages. An 18-year-old qualifier representing Great Britain taking on a Canadian teenager for the title, breathing fresh life into women's tennis. Uh, it got me thinking, actually, what, what's the state of the game here? We haven't heard too much of it lately, so uh, joining us on the show right here, right now, is uh, New Zealand Tennis CEO Julie Patterson. Good morning to you, Julie. Uh, what about that US Open? Wasn't it some spectacle? Was it ever? Uh, I think I, I have to say I, it was probably one of the most enjoyable Opens that I have ever watched. It was just um, all of the unpredictability of it was just fantastic. I, I mean, you know, it just seemed to get better. Even when you took it to the men's stage and you had that great carrot of, of uh, Djokovic trying to equal Rod Laver and falling short which means he's still got business at hand, uh, and the emotion around that too, it just didn't stop. No, I know. Um, you know, like, I, clearly we're going to talk about the women's event, but um, it, it, mm. the, the whole tournament I thought was just outstanding, and that the men's final was, you know, that was something to watch as well. Um, the emotion and the, um, you know, the expectation and just everything, it was just fantastic. So what, what did you make of, of the story, this uh, Emma Raducanu story, this, this young lady who, uh, you know, who basically three weeks beforehand had been practising tennis and, and Bromley uh, getting ready for the US Open. Three weeks later, she's on top of the world. Uh, what, what did you actually make of her pathway through unbeaten in 10 matches and also not dropping a set? Well, I, I think along with the rest of the world, I, I, you know, it was a pretty incredible story to watch. Um, and Leila Fernandez, I mean, her, her story was no less incredible, um, to be honest. You know, the names that she took out on her way through to the grand final. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of, there's elements of age and lack of expectation that allows players, when they come through at this level, to just have the freedom that they don't have as that expectation builds around them. And, you know, we've seen that with Osaka. Um, you know, she she was a bit of a, well, pro, not quite a bolt out of the blue, but that um, 
final when she beats uh, Serena Williams. And, um, you know, she, she just played calmly and um, no expectation and came through and won. And then the weight of the world came down on top of her. So uh, my anxiety is that these two young players will be able to continue to live um, and and play with the freedom that they've done so far um, to get to where they where they are now. Oh, I completely agree with you. That is that is the next step to see if they can be shielded in some uh, possible way. Let, let's look at uh, the state of uh, New Zealand tennis. Uh, I mean, we'd love at some stage to produce an Eba Raducanu or a Leila Fernandez. What is this, what is uh, our tennis looking like numbers wise, particularly at that say uh, young young girls level, young women's level? Yeah, so um, New Zealand is pretty similar uh, and reflects international numbers. So we we have a pretty balanced participation um, here. We have around 47% female participation. So um, that's one of the strongest sports in New Zealand with with female participation. But like all sports, we have a pretty significant drop-off in um, teenage years. So that's a real challenge, um, you know, that sort of 12 to 18-year-old age group, although it's a little bit older in tennis, um, sort of that 14 to 18-year-old age, um, we, we do see numbers drop quite significantly. So we're putting a lot of thought into um, and working alongside, you know, other sports and Sport New Zealand around how, how can we battle that? How do we, how do we keep young women in sport and um, for us clearly, particularly in tennis? Well, it's up against sports like uh, rugby, which is, I guess, becoming stronger. Um, women's uh, basketball, netball, of course. Uh, but those, those are all contact sports, so it's got that in its favour because there is a move, there is a, a fear amongst a lot of people about contact in sport these days. So at least it's got that on its side. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, the, the irony of um, COVID has been that we have seen an increase in our participation numbers and our membership numbers. So I agree. I think people are looking for sports that they feel safer in um, and you take away that contact, you're um, clearly able to play in a, in a non-contact but also not close to the opposition. Um, you, you can manage a, a game without having to get too close to people um, that, that you're not playing with all the time. So um, it does feel a lot safer. So when it comes to getting started or you know developing your game, is, do you have a like a, a structure of satellite coaches or, or regional coaches as such, or is it basically a, a private thing? If you want to advance your game to a, a, you know any sort of level, you have to go private. Uh, so there's a mixture of both. So um, yep, there's definitely the professional private coaching um, or the coaches that are employed by the clubs. Um, but one of our strategies has been around building a much bigger network of volunteer coaches. Um, and I think that our, our opportunity is in is reducing the barriers for people to play in the sport, um, making it as cost-effective as we can, which actually, comparatively speaking, if you take coaching out of it, tennis is really cheap to play. But um, if we have a much broader and... Um, uh, wider acceptance of having volunteer coaches who can just get rackets into kids' hands and get them onto the courts, then those who choose to go to professional coaches can do that. Those that choose to just play because they want to have fun and hit a ball over the net can do that as well. We spoke to Erin Rutliffe the other day. Of course, she plays uh, doubles tennis, has been with Layla Fernandez, so she's uh, and doing very well at it, uh, just by the by. But what are our stocks looking like in terms of women's players approaching 
the professional era? Uh, yeah, so so our, our two best um, uh, women, female players um, on the circuit at the moment clearly are Erin and um, Paige Hurrigan and uh, the gap below that is pretty significant. Um, another strategy that we're working on is around building our coach numbers and again in New Zealand our female coach numbers reflect international numbers which is pretty poor, around 20%. Um, and I think if we want to have more young women coming through in the game we need to have more female coaches um, more role models, um, and and um, and so that's a that's a real mm-hmm. focus for us. Um, so yeah, below Erin and Paige, there it, it, there is a bit of a gap. Be nice to be able to you know somehow get your hands on someone like a, an Emma or a Layla and and just say look, just come to New Zealand for you know it's not possible at the moment because of uh, what we're going through. Just just for a couple of weeks, just to you know to go around the country and tell your story. No pressure. Um, just have some fun in the New Zealand environment. But, of course, it's very hard to do that, to get that kind of encouragement from high-profile players uh, around the world. I mean, we can't even stage our own tournaments at the moment, so you're up against it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very challenging. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, although if we look to the 2023 ASB tournaments, um, wouldn't it be amazing to have Layla come out and play um, as Emma's partner or, um, you know, as a, as a singles competitor as well? So um, there's, there's definitely opportunities and, and, and fantastic for Erin to have such a great connection at such a level and being able to hopefully leverage those relationships because a lot of, um, you know, the, a lot of the ability to get players out to New Zealand for those tournaments is built on relationships. And, and so we've, we've got a pretty good foot in the door here at the moment. You have, actually. And uh, we spoke to Erin uh, the other day. What a delightful uh, young lady she is. Uh, yeah. Family concentrating yeah. on the doubles. We also have uh, very strong content um, uh, with Michael Venus and Marcus Daniel, of course, bronze medalists at the Olympics. That was a wonderful result. Yeah. So on the men's yeah. side of things, we have, we have people to look at there. Yeah, we do, and, and you know, don't don't um, underestimate Erin and Paige. I mean, Erin's sitting now at seventy-eight in the doubles. Uh, you know, her her ranking is um, is dropping all the time. So she's she's doing very well, and um, we're pretty confident that she's going to be able to go a long way along with Paige. I mean, Paige is two fifty-five in the doubles, but four twenty-four in the singles. Mm-hmm. That's four hundred and twenty-four in the world. So. Um, you know, they're, they're both competing really well at the moment and we're going to be doing everything that we can support those athletes through to the Olympics as well. Um, so we're, we'll be building a program around um, the men's and the women's going through to Paris 24. So that's pretty exciting. Julie, I, I go back uh, quite a long way, unfortunately, but I do go back and I remember things like the Nunnally Casket um, and, and things that were played quite high profile in terms of uh, provincial tennis around the country. Are those sort of uh, structured events still happening? Uh, well, I actually don't know that event that you're talking about, so you, you do go back a bit <laughs> further than I do. Um, but there are there's definitely structured events that still happen. Um, the challenge that we have at the moment is um, we're not able to run uh, pro tour events. So two years ago, uh, no, sorry, it was in the beginning of 2020, we ran our first, um, WTT Pro Tour events, 15,000 events here in New Zealand. First time that we'd had them in about 10 years. Um, so we can't run them at the moment um, until the ITF allow us and we need to have borders open to have international players having access to those tournaments. 
So we can run domestic tournaments at the moment, but um, but the international tournaments are, are off the calendar until we can get the borders open. How does tennis get funded then? We know how the Olympics get funded on, on performance uh, from high performance uh, sport, etc. from the government. How does tennis get funded in this country? Uh, so tennis New Zealand specifically, we get funded through... Yeah. Um, Membership returns, uh, uh, so as in uh, a club affiliation um, and region affiliation, uh, we get money through uh, ITF, um, we get funding through so uh, Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup um, ITF funding, uh, we get funding through TAB, um, so that's a significant portion of our revenue, um, and then of course commercial and other grant funding. Do we get kids to America on scholarships anymore? Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. There's a number of um, you know a number of athletes go over to America on scholarships. So that's a really strong um, uh, strong avenue for players to be getting really good experience overseas. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, this weekend. Um, yes, it is this weekend. Uh, our men's Davis Cup team is uh, on the court against. Career in New York, career in New York, that's amazing in itself. Uh, what chance are they in that World Group 1 tie from your point of view? We think we've got a really good chance. Um, we, we know that Korea have pulled out one of their top players, um, so that has made us a little, uh, a little I, I won't say anxious, but we're confident that we've got the right team. Um, it is really disappointing that we've had to host it in a neutral venue, um, but the players are really comfortable with the venue um, and so uh, they chose grass courts specifically because they felt that might unsettle the Korean team. Um, so, look, I think we've got as good a chance as any. OK, Julie, thank you very much for your update, getting us a little insight into how New Zealand tennis is, is structured and uh, we uh, just hope that we've got an Emma or a Layla around the corner. We wish yeah. all the best in finding one. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it would be great. Julie Patterson there, folks, from uh, the CEO of uh, Tennis New Zealand, of course. I can give you a little bit of update, John, on the Nunnally casket, shall I? Just uh, for your own benefit <laughs> yeah, mate. and for those of our younger listeners. Kate Nunnally was born in 1872 in England. She died in 1956. She's possibly, possibly, they say, the best ever New Zealand women's tennis player of all time. She uh, immigrated out from England with her mum. She played out of the Thorndon Lawn Tennis Club in Wellington, uh, defeated Blanche Hilliard, who uh, at that time was the women's Wimbledon champion. She took two mixed doubles titles with Anthony Wilding. Uh, she had all her tennis gold medals melted down into one trophy, which was called the Nunnally Casket. Awesome. And it was the symbol of New Zealand provincial tennis for a long, long time. That's the history of the non elite cast. That's a great that's yarn. Why I asked about, I under, uh, that's why I asked about Promitchell Tennis, John, uh, whether it was still up and running, and quite clearly it ain't. No. Uh, anyway, so. I, I used to yeah. love going to Provincial Tennis Smithy. It was big when I was growing up, when Alistair Hunt used to play for Canterbury. North Shore had a strong mm. team, and down at Wilding Park in Christchurch, you used to get massive crowds for Provincial Tennis. But now, uh, you don't even know that it's on. Like, tennis mm. in New Zealand, Smithy, for me, I don't know. It's. I don't like all this specialising in doubles. I want to see New Zealand singles players get back on the world stage. You know, Marina Arakovic, uh, she won a WTA tournament, was top 40. Um, you've got to go back to Brett Stephen for a men's singles player. It's just, I'm, I'm searching for singles players, Smithy. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree, John. I think it's something that we're going to continue to search for for quite some time because, uh, as Julie said, the gap underneath what we've got now is quite significant, uh, and that in t- is, is really a worry. And maybe uh, a texting subject too on double eight double three as parents. Uh, why would you push your kids towards tennis, or why wouldn't you push your kids towards tennis? Because quite clearly, numbers are down. What is happening to our traditional sports? Uh, you know, uh, we know, we heard from Alan Houston the other day, he's uh, in touch with club rugby. Uh, he, he knows, you know, that rugby numbers are down. They, they can't deny that. Cricket numbers are down. What is happening to our traditional sports and why aren't our kids playing them? Uh, maybe you can get back to us on double eight double three, or if you want to, phone 0800 150 811. I think it's quite concerning. We've got Mark Genty coming up uh, after the 9.30 news uh, about uh, touring Pakistan. He was uh, the journalist there when they were bombed out way, way back uh, with uh, Stephen Fleming's team. That'll be interesting. Uh, Mark Hinton and Guy Havelt on the panel. Broder Italic, uh, All Black Captain number 71, will be coming uh, into us around about 10.32 this morning. Texts are coming in uh, regarding the tennis. Smithy, the power of tennis and TV to a certain extent, I assume. I went to the cricket nets yesterday to roll the old arm over and there was a mum and her two daughters, probably between 9 and 11 years of age, playing tennis in the cricket nets. It was absolutely fantastic. I wonder if uh, they would have been doing that uh, about uh, a week or so ago before those beautiful young ladies uh, made the final at the US Open. Uh, I agree with John Day. That's just really rare run, that one. Uh, I agree with John Day. Great effort by our New Zealand doubles players, but I'm yearning for a Kiwi on the ATP or WTA single circuit, which is where the big kudos occurs in tennis. Cheers. How did tennis lose, uh, New Zealand tennis lose Cam Norrie? Uh, not enough care. Cheers uh, for that one, Maggie. Nice of you to, to get in touch with us. Uh, keep doing it. Smithy, one word, devices. We're talking about how we're losing all our young kids to other sports now. Uh, our kids are addicted to devices and the internet. In our day, we were outside playing backyard cricket or rugby until it was dark. We rode bikes, we played kick the can. Just doesn't happen anymore, so there is no potential coming through. Uh, and on another subject of uh, young women doing well in sport, uh, at Texas coming, you should interview my daughter, Amelia Garvey, who has reached stage two of the LPGA Q School. That is a tough thing to do, and she is stuck in the United States. Uh, we're going to do that. Uh, John Day is going to text that uh, number. And we're going to try and arrange that interview because that would be yet another great story of Kiwis doing well, but not being able to come home and celebrate it with their loved ones. I think that's quite significant because at the end of the day, that's <coughs> quite a, a big and important thing to do, John. So uh, if you can get on to that, uh, my PA, you can arrange that throughout the day, that would be nice. Yeah, mate, now that one of our listeners has agreed with me, it's got me in a great mood. So I'll do whatever our listeners say on the text this morning, Smithy. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to talking to Big Brody. Um, we might get a hint as to uh, whether Big Brody will be stepping out again uh, this weekend. Probably not. Pretty hard to get stuff out of the All Blacks midweek. It's nine thirty, and it's news time with Trudy. here on SNZ, and of course, uh, great news. We've got some cricket commentary coming up on that New Zealand tour of. Uh, Pakistan, and uh, yeah, the boys will be uh, commenting on that uh, throughout those matches. Should be fascinating listening. Uh, on the subject of cricket, I'm uh, really looking forward to talking to uh, my next guest, who is uh, Mark Genty. Of course, uh, Mark is a well-known sports journalist. Uh, principally, though, uh, he's been 
uh, the number one cricket journalist for cricket, probably the best part of uh, almost two decades now. So he's been there, done that, seen a lot. Um, Mark, good morning to you. And uh, Pakistan, I would imagine, always brings back mixed memories for you. Good morning, Smithy. Uh, exactly right. Yeah, it, um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Black Caps playing there, first of all, for the first time in a while. But yeah, yeah very mixed memories. I, I mean, the first ones were pretty fond ones. I actually quite enjoyed touring there. It was a really interesting place and, uh, you know, the people were incredibly friendly. The hospitality was wonderful, but um, yeah, obviously the topic of our discussion is, is what happened in 2002, which was, uh, yeah, memories are still pretty uh, vivid of that. Well, you, you're just not part of it. I mean, you know, you were, were there on the spot, but you had to really view it in two ways, I guess, because uh, you were probably one of the only journalists in the world it was actually, I know Brian Waddle was there, but in terms of um, journos as such, I mean, you couldn't have um, been more close to the spot that it happened. So just take us back to, you know, what you were doing at the time and, and the immediate aftermath in, in your eyes. Yeah, uh, you're right, it couldn't have got much closer. So back in the, I was um, the cricket correspondent for New Zealand Press Association, which we always sent a cricket writer on tours um, going way back. So... And you were essentially, I mean, you tried to be impartial, but you were essentially part of the team in, in a way. And places like Pakistan, you would travel on the team bus, you'd stay in the team hotel, you'd be on the same floor as the players, like in, in Karachi on that morning. I was, I think I was next door to Brian Waddle, but we were on the same, basically the same level as all the players. Um, you're essentially part of the of the team in terms of the eyes of the, the hotel and, and, and the, the hosts. So, yeah, it was about 7.45 in the morning. It was the morning of the second test in Karachi. The first test had been a, a pretty much a disaster from a New Zealand viewpoint. And Zaman Al-Haq had scored a triple century, which um, took some watching. And uh, and then Shoaib Akhtar, even off a short run, had, had carved through carved through the Black Caps and, and, and it had been a hefty defeat for them. So they were on a bit of a, a bit of a downer anyway. They, they'd gone to Karachi. Um, it was the morning of the second test. It was about 7.45. I was still asleep, to be honest. Um about, I think my alarm was set for 8 o'clock to get up and dash to the ground. So, um, yeah, I, I was lying there and uh, it was more the sound of breaking glass first that got me rather than any kind of explosion sound and the, the glass kind of burst through the curtains and, and the curtain curtain rail um, crashed to the floor and the, the glass got within pretty pretty close to the bed where I was lying. So I was straight off the other side and onto the floor and um, it was just chaos um, Noises, noises everywhere. Sirens pretty quickly. Um, basically, it happened right outside outside my window and, and the windows of most of the players, which is looked out onto the street. And the other side of the road was um, was another hotel, which um, where the uh, French and German naval engineers were staying, who um, were working on something in the Karachi port, and that was the target of the, the suicide bomber who had uh, driven his little Suzuki car into the side of the bus. That, that was carrying them down to the port. So that happened basically on the road directly outside the Pearl Continental where we were staying and um, I think it was a Hyatt or something on the other side where incidentally um, Danny Morrison was was staying as, as a commentator and, and also Jeff Thompson, the former Australian fast bowler, two of them were in that hotel. So um, they had some tales to tell as well. So basically it was complete chaos. I looked out the window and uh, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't see any, any awful sights but the bus was just completely disintegrated and um, and basically at that point we had to get out so I, I walked outside and um, Reg Dickerson who's the Australian former detective who's, um, who's a security, long-time security expert and is now with the Black Caps in Pakistan he was there with his moustache bristling and um, bellowing for everyone to get the hell out so 
Um, everyone got down to the lobby and got out and uh, kind of reassessed where we were. But um, I think everyone was basically thankful that, uh, I mean, there were, I think, 14 or 15 deaths, which was horrible. But I think um, a lot of the a lot of the black caps were pretty, well, obviously very shaken up and, and relieved that, that some of their number were, were probably very close to being caught up in it too. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I suppose there was a suspicion, a slight suspicion before you got the facts that the team, being a high-profile team in Pakistan, could have well been a target themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That was the thought. Um, they were, uh, yeah, my feelings at the time, it was, it was just just a bizarre it's kind of it's such a surreal feeling, just not kind of, I mean, I don't, I was, a little bit. I wouldn't say it was fear. It was just sort of what what's happening, and, and we're okay. Everyone's okay. Apart, obviously, everyone in the hotel was okay. So it's just a matter of where where to from here. But um, certainly, there were some there were some really white faces in the black caps lineup. They were they were terrified and thought that the you know basically they'd been they'd had a go at them and tried to get them. But mm. um, it, it became clear afterwards that it was it was you know they hit their target, which was the the naval engineers. But um, yeah, there was it was it was outright fear amongst the, the ranks. Um, I remember being out the front of the hotel and we actually went round the side to the swimming pool area, which was deemed, as, deemed to be the kind of safest place, which was just by the car park, which was still pretty close to where everything was happening. And um, Stephen Fleming was, was there and he actually had he actually had blood on his T-shirt because, also, because Dale Shackle, who was the physio, was um, he'd actually been on the team bus, which was going to take the early arrivals to the ground, uh, the early the early crew. And... Um, He'd actually been on the bus, and uh, which was parked out the front, and, and the, the windows had blown in. And, and Dale was the only one who, who sort of bore the scars, so to speak. He had a cut elbow, and um, I, I just remember Dale was there, and you know he was okay apart from that. And um, Stephen Fleming had, had blood on his t-shirt, and he went and went, walked over and picked up a what looked like a car bumper or something, a piece of mm. shrapnel which was lying very close. So a few of the players sort of peeked around the corner and had a look at, at what you know the, the scene, which was. Pretty horrific bowl accounts. I, I couldn't really bring myself to do that. Um, uh, but they saw, yeah, a few sights. So the, the man ran past with his arm missing, which is pretty horrific and pretty harrowing. Um, and obviously there were, you know, there were a few bodies and some pretty awful scenes just just beside the bus. So yeah, that was very. Yeah. You know, obviously everyone was 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 shocked and and appalled. And and I think the first thought was how, how are we going to get home? And you got home pretty quickly, of course. Uh, I don't think it was too long before you were ushered on to uh, other transport and um, uh, and out, which must have been a, of great relief. I mean, the journalist in you, I suppose, still had to be slightly inquisitive because being on the spot, um, I, I, I guess people were expecting things from you, were they? That's right. Yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, basically no way out of, um, you know, you can't really say, sorry, I'm not filing anything, I'm too, too shaken up. So, um, yeah, once everything was put in place and, and we were, uh, Jeff Crow, the manager, who who you know very well, obviously he's a, a calm presence, a you know a, a perfect guy to have at the helm at the, in that in that situation. And he spoke a few words and basically, yeah, we're um, we're on a flight in four hours. Um, just you know, just sit tight and um, you know, call my father. It was I had a phone and a few of the players, you know, used it to call their loved ones and. Um, and then I thought, well, I, I better um, better do my job. So I, walked, I actually got back up to my room. They, they deemed the hotel was safe, and so I sat there, you know, prepped, you know, with glass everywhere, and the window basically open to the air with this, um, you know, this crumpled bus outside and ambulances and things coming and going. And um, I followed what I could, what I could muster really. Um, 
back home and I could still get a you know dial up internet in those days. The phone lines were still working, so I managed to get a connection and um, bought my story home. And um, my colleagues in the office were fantastic and supportive and everything. And uh, yeah, they I filed the story through and then then um, packed my bags and we all went downstairs and got on the bus and which was basically full presidential security. Obviously, the roads were closed off. Mm. Pops everywhere, and um, we escorted to the airport, and um, everyone breathed a, a great sigh of relief when we got there. Of course, that wasn't the end of it, and uh, the coup de grace in, in terms of uh, Pakistan hosting world cricket was uh, the Sri Lankan tour where the bus was actually attacked by terrorists, and there was no doubt who the target was there. So uh, now we find ourselves back there, Mark. Uh, fortunately, you're able to be, with modern technology to cover this tour from um, the, the safety of home, and I'm not saying it's unsafe there now. Uh, because they've done their homework, I've, I've gone back in there, Imran Khan of course is the Prime Minister, um, a wonderful cricketer, he certainly will make sure that every every possible chance uh, has been negated of any problem at all. Uh, you've written a story already I see with uh, Martin Guptill being quoted um, uh, as opposed to about bulletproof buses and things like that, so I guess in your mind you've probably got a fairly clear picture of what they're about to go through. Yep, um, I brought back some memories of seeing some photos of the hotel where they're staying in Royal Pindi, which is, um, or Islamabad, one that's nearby. Um, yeah, yeah, they're going to be incredibly safe because, well, they're going to feel incredibly safe. And as you say, I mean, I think things are a lot less volatile. I mean, there was a slight concern, well, you know, concern among some about the uh, Afghanistan situation and the Taliban taking over there and whether that does spill over to Pakistan and whether there's any, you know, any, any, um, anything going to happen there um, or any any kinds of attacks or anything so but yes they've, they've, they've gone through the process they're, um, they're, they're confident obviously Reg Dixon who I mentioned before is there he's been there for two weeks so they're pretty um, set on how they're going to be looked after and it is a massive level of security as, as Martin Gutwell described uh, you know bulletproof, bulletproof vans um, motorcades armed police everywhere closed roads um, hotel heavily fortified so Basically, they're going to be, yeah, they're in the hotel, they're going to get these, these vans to the ground, um, which will have 25% capacity spectators, I think, more for COVID-19 than anything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it, it's, I think the players all seem reassured that, that uh, they're being well looked after and um, they're, they're feeling pretty safe. And incidentally, when we went back at the end of 2003, it was, it did feel that way. The, the, the Black Caps went back at the end of 2003 with a few players out and Chris Cairns as captain and, they uh, had a second string team and uh, I remember being on that tour and just feeling um, incredibly safe the whole time. So, um, I mean, obviously you can't 100% guarantee everything, but um, I think that that level of security at the moment is, um, it, it looks pretty good for them. Yeah, just finally, uh, I mean, uh, just looking at this series coming up, Mark, up against it, no DRS, local umpires and a Pakistan side relishing the uh, the opportunity to get at us on their home conditions. Uh, uh, and not our very, very, very top side. So, what are you expecting out of this? Yeah, it's um, low expectations. I think, I think like Bangladesh, really, there were low expectations, and and the Black Caps exceeded expectations by winning two matches with a second string lineup. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, Pakistan are a pretty good side. They've, uh, they're not just packed with spin either. They've got the the usual very good pace attack led by Shaheen Sharafri, who we've seen in New Zealand, who's a who's an absolute absolute star and um, can, can cause some real damage. So I think, uh, I guess the one thing is that they're, they're expecting the pitches are going to be better than Bangladesh. They're going to be probably a bit truer. 
Um, obviously, with Pakistan having a, a decent pace attack, they're not going to probably not going to prepare dust bowls and um, turning tracks like they may do. But um, looks like there might be better conditions for batting. But yeah, I mean, I think the bowling's reasonably solid in New Zealand. They've got well, they've got probably too many pacemen again and, and the three spinners. But uh, the batting's things a bit of a worry without you know all the guns there, and also Ross Taylor, who's who's opted out or kind of had a chat and decided that going over for 380 in Pakistan and then doing a fortnight of managed isolation wasn't really a, a good idea with his young family. That probably that makes sense completely. So they're, they're pretty threadbare in the batting. I mean, Colin de Gronholm, where does he fit in? He's, he's probably the, he probably almost has to play, or if, if Tom Blunder was injured or still injured, he definitely has to play at number six. So that's going to be, I guess, a big watch as to whether he can break out of his, um, his awful slump and show any kind of form. But yeah, the, the top five is a pretty green-looking top five with... Um, for the ODIs anyway, with no gut duel until the T20s and a few, uh, you know, obviously Tom Latham and Henry Nichols anchoring the batting there, which is good, and, and then some young guys around them. Will Young, who batted very well in Bangladesh in pretty trying conditions. So they've got the base there, a reasonable team, but they're going to have to play absolutely out of their skins to, to pinch one of these ODIs, and they'll probably have a better chance in the T20s when a few of the reinforcements like Gupta and the like come in. But um, I guess one guy, Finn Allen, is, is always going to be interesting to watch, and um, hopefully he can... He can fire in the ODIs alongside, uh, I guess, Henry Nichols at the top and, and give him a real flyer because he showed some really good signs of Bangladesh in that last game, recovering from COVID, which is a pretty good effort from him. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm looking forward to this, but um, I, I guess the expectations aren't going to be overly high as they were in Bangladesh too. Hey, Mark, uh, thanks so much for reliving those uh, horrific scenes and those harrowing moments uh, that uh, you'll never forget as long as you live, and I'm sure the, the Black Cap squad members won't uh, ever forget that either. Uh, thanks so much uh, for, your, for your work too that you're doing in cricket and keeping us updated uh, as they uh, make their way around the world. It's um, been fascinating chatting to you. All right, Smitty, thank you. Yeah, yeah, cheers, Mark Ginty there, um, and he will, uh, in terms of uh, your stuff reports, keep you up to date ball by ball on the series coming up. Amazing thoughts there, um, John. I can only echo them. Uh, I was uh, bombed out of Sh- Sri Lanka in 1987. Just such a uh, hollow feeling in the gut and a worrying feeling in your head that cricket uh, disappears very, very quickly from any of your thoughts. 9.47 here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, it's just actually thinking of it. The New Zealand cricket team has been involved in uh, three or four of those uh, pretty horrible incidents overseas and uh, there was two in Sri Lanka two in Sri Lanka, one in 87 and one in 1992, which uh, split the team. When 87, the team decided to come home, and 92 parts of the team decided to come home. Um, and those, uh, those players, I wouldn't say their careers were greatly affected by it, but um, certainly I think the coach, Warren Lees, uh, he suffered as a result of uh, wanting to come home and a very strong family man. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure that would happen in, in this day and age. I think you'd be all out anyway, but... I don't think you'd suffer as a result of making that kind of choice. Uh, also, we just got uh, one text in for, about Aaron Smith being out of the uh, rugby championship, playing for Manawa 2. Uh, he may play for Manawa 2. He is going to play for Manawa 2. He can't wait to lace up the boots and get the green and white on. We'll hear from Staffy about that, I'm sure, just after 12 o'clock this morning. And uh, very shortly, uh, it's multi-time again here on SENZ. To behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away, 
and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday we were very, very close. The Astros did beat the Rangers uh, at a buck fifty-one, and overnight Juventus did beat Malmo three nil. So that was uh, comfortable. But to the Boston Red Sox, having traded the lead to and fro with the Seattle Mariners, lost five four. So we just missed there. Uh, today we'll stick with a little bit of baseball. The, the Giants are highly favoured to beat the Padres, so we'll stick with them at a buck fifty. Uh, ATP tennis coming in from Luxembourg, where the household name Ludmilla Samsonova will beat Oceano Dodan. Uh, the next uh, Leila Fernandez is on the market, or Hernandez, and uh, all sorts of things coming through. Radican used there, a buck thirty-nine. So go with Ludmilla Samsonova there. Uh, in terms of uh, Major League Soccer, New York City are heavy favourites at a buck thirty-six to beat the FC Dallas, and uh, PSG uh, they will beat Club Brugge. Uh, in the early hours of tomorrow morning at a buck twenty-two, that'll uh, return you three dollars forty-six. Good luck with that. Uh, we are going to have uh, the panel early, straight after the news. In fact, Mark Hinton and Guy Havelt joining us with issues of the day. Meanwhile, it's news time here on SNS. This is mornings with Ian Smith. Big Opinions, the panel. 10.03 here on SENZ, just slightly early panel today. Mark Hinton from Stuff, of course, with uh, all that great rugby writing, in particular Guy Havelt from TVNZ. Uh, the subjects of the day, interesting ones for me. We hinted uh, this morning, gentlemen, uh, in our chat with Julie Patterson that tennis numbers were down across the board. We've heard about rugby numbers uh, and some of those other sports, cricket in particular, uh, we're struggling. How do we get our kids, Mark Hinton, how do we get our kids back to playing the traditional sports, or is it almost a lost cause? Well, it's it's harder than it used to be, Smithy. Uh, and, and g'day, Guy. Um, no doubt about it, because um, just of the range of sports and, and, and the, I guess, kind of the accessibility, the, visual, the visualisation, I guess, or the ability for people to be able to see these sports now, so much more. There's so much more range of choice for kids. So it is tougher for the traditional sports. But, hey, here's a memo. Make them more accessible, make them more alluring, and make them fun. And you might find traditional sports get more kids involved. Look, it's about establishing role models, isn't it? Why is basketball so popular with kids these days? Because of the NBA, because of the visibility of basketball as as a sport. It promotes... um, I guess, you know, you see the guys up close, their real personalities on the court and off it and so forth. Kids have role models, you know, they have uh, these um, stars that they love to kind of watch and to follow. So, look, the, the message for, for the traditional sports smithy is get on board with changing times and they can't kind of just rely on, on uh, you know, people turning up and enrolling for them anymore. They have to get with the times and they have to be, um, interesting and fun for these kids. Guy Havelt, um, I've tried in, in a number of forms, touch rugby, uh, you know, non-contact uh, in mm. terms of contact sports, some non-contact options, T20 cricket, uh, playing them during the week instead of the weekends uh, so the kids can do their other weekend pastimes. But it seems they're still fighting a bit of a losing battle, don't they? Yeah, morning fellas, morning Smithy, morning Mark. Um, look, it, it, it's a uh, 
it's an enormous issue really for these traditional sports and, and I, I wouldn't want to be running them at the moment because um, you know these these kids these days are, are so they're into different things to what to, to what we used to be back in the day and uh, to, to pick up off Mark's point I think it's a great point that uh, for too long now rugby if I can take that for example has just been the players have just been trained to the nth degree to not do anything exciting off the park and you know, you look at guys like Israel Adesanya and, and people from the UFC and Stephen Adams and, uh, you know, a couple of other Kiwi sports people, and, and they're fun off the court or off the field or whatever their, their playing arena is. They are good on social media, um, you know, but they, they market themselves to a different audience. And uh, for too long now, the traditional sports that we're talking about haven't been doing that. And I think that's a big issue as to why kids particularly aren't, aren't warming to these sports anymore because they don't see these players and, these, um, and, and, and the people who should be, and I hate using this term usually when it comes to sport, but they're idols, um, you know, they, 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 they don't see them in those fun ways that we see other sports people doing. And I think that's a large reason why Israel Adesanya has become such a, a, a promotable person because he's different, because he says what he wants, because he... Um, you know, a lot of people don't like him, but but the fact is that the world's changing, and um, you know he, he he sticks up for himself and, and and is different to anyone else, and therefore stands out. And I think that's a big part. And um, yeah, I, I I just think rugby, if I can use that for an example, is just a bit too bit too same same, bit too bland. We need some personality from these people. We need to see a bit more of it. We see it with the with the Black Ferns and the Black Fern Sevens, but when it comes to men's rugby, mm. um, it's just so same same and so boring. Yeah, well, you make a good point there. And, and Mark Hinton, uh, obviously in, in the rugby areas where the numbers are dwindling, particularly in uh, late secondary school and Colts' uh, particular thing, they've, they've come up, uh, tried to come up with these rule changes uh, to make it more appealing. I mean, here's a game for us. It's our national game. It does have role models. It could not get much more coverage than it gets, yet it's still losing those numbers. Uh, it, to me, if, if it doesn't work in rugby, can it ever work? Yeah, no, it, it, it possibly can't. I mean, the model is different now, Smithy. You know, skateboarding and surfing and kite surfing and all these different, you know, sports. They just weren't around, you know, 20, 30 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. You know, there's just so much more sport climbing, you know, UFC, all these other sports. I mean, the, the field is just so different now. And, you know, rugby has to kind of understand that it's just not going to capture you know the percentages that it used to and it, what it has to look to do is is to do I guess more with the people that it does have to to um, you know open up those pathways to you know to, um, to to be better with less basically because I think that is just the reality of the modern landscape. So Guy uh, the last time that they really get controlled into a situation where they have to play sport and they're you know, they're guided, um, you know, and supervised. It's pretty much secondary school, isn't it? So uh, is that the point they're losing them? Is, is it secondary school that's got an issue here? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and then I think it's probably just after secondary school as well where, where you know, in, in school you, you, you are around your mates and, and you get to play in teams and that sort of thing. And, and then you get out of school and, and, and you know, people aren't, aren't – um, you know, there's there's no way of doing that. You either have to join a club or you don't play at all. Uh, that kind of happened to me. Um, you know, I, I I 
just didn't have time and, 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 and had to stop playing and that sort of thing because it wasn't so accessible. But I think the bigger problem is certainly at secondary school, probably intermediate. Uh, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a massively broader issue here when, we, when it comes to rugby and, and rugby league and, and maybe some other sports along this path as well is that concussion is, is just so serious at the moment that um, you know, parents particularly, I don't think, uh, want to see their kids getting hammered week in, week out. And I know World Rugby and New Zealand Rugby are doing whatever they can. And sometimes we sit there and we scratch our heads about these rules in terms of tackling and, um, you know, people getting red carded and that sort of thing. But it, it needs to happen if, if concussion is going to get stamped out of the game. That, for me, is a, is a big thing that needs to happen for, for parents uh, to believe that, rugby and I keep picking on rugby it might be a bit unfair but but it is the sport I think that is probably seeing this as, as its toughest time in terms of numbers for, for young kids um, you know the concussion is the biggest thing that they need to sort out for parents to believe that it's a safe game for their kids to play. Uh, Mark Hinton and Guy Havelt here uh, with the panel this morning folks uh, Mark Hinton we know that uh, the All Blacks will be playing we know that they've got numbers uh, but what kind of numbers and who'll be wearing them this weekend uh, what are you expecting in terms of a team naming later in the week? Yeah, m- more rotation, Smithy. I think that's pretty clear. It's been heavily signposted. Ian Foster said he doesn't want anyone to play five tests in a row. Um, he said it may be a necessity because of, of, of outside factors, but he doesn't want it. So while, while he's got control of things, um, he will rotate. I, don't, I think he's going to continue along those lines of that that five to six changes just feels about right, doesn't it? You know, it feels the right number to make rather than like 10, you know, which we saw um, last year. So, so fatally for the All Blacks. So I think I think he'll just continue to rotate. He, he's lucky because he's got guys like Cody Taylor, Adi Savir, Patrick Tui Peloto and Offa Tunga Fausti coming back on board this week. These are normal kind of uh, frontline players. It's not guaranteed starters, sort of guys that <coughs> do start regularly. So... I think just through natural attrition, he's going to get some rotation. And I think people like uh, Dalton Papali, Kerry Ioane, even the Bowden Barrett with that suspect cast, a Brody Retallick, time to give them a rest because we know what's coming. Two tests against the box. Look, this All Blacks team, Smithy, Guy, I don't think I've seen depth like the All Blacks have got right at the moment. And that's one thing we have to credit Ian Foster with. That he is building incredible depth and depth wins rugby uh, test, but it mainly wins tournaments like the World Cup, and the depth of these All Blacks at the moment is amazing, and they are prepared to use it, but they've just got to continue to be judicious. So I like that sort of five to six changes. So okay, uh, I guess uh, you're pretty much of a similar opinion, guy, because uh, as uh, Mark <laughs> pointed out, uh, we've had so many hints come in. That one thing that where depth is going to be further tested though is at halfback, with the news coming through that Aaron Smith will not join them at all for the rugby championship and uh, still, you know, we're waiting to see even later on uh, in this uh, particular elongated tour. Uh, what do you make of that news? Well, firstly, I, I think it's wonderful for the for the provincial competition. It's going to be fantastic to see him out there, hopefully week in, week out, until he does join up with the All Blacks, if he does this year. I think that's a positive side to this. And, and also, yeah, I, I think halfback might be where they're tested, but in saying that, I was impressed by TJ Pedernada and I've been impressed by Brad Weber as well. I think they've got two pretty solid options there who they can call on, whoever they decide to go with this weekend, I think will do a decent job. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to... 
I, I still think that, that, and I don't want to go down this path too much, I still think that Scott Robertson probably should, should have been the All Blacks coach, but I'm starting to warm to what Ian Foster's doing with this, two, this team. I, I think the last two weeks, they've been very impressive. Uh, I, last year was a tough one to get any sort of consistency in their game plan, in their selections, and the way they were playing. Uh, he's, they seem to have hit the ground running so far this year. Yeah, the opposition's been a bit weak, and, and I, I suspect the test will still come against the box. But I've been pretty impressed by what they've done so far. Um, and, and as Mark rightfully says, the depth is just so strong now that you could pretty much pick whoever you wanted out of that squad and, and you'd be confident in, in them doing the same job. What I would like to see is I would like to see Odin Barrett remain at 10, and he probably will because uh, Mwonga is obviously not there yet. I, I've loved what Bowden Barrett has done in the 10 jersey, and I'd like to see him just be given a few more opportunities there to strut his stuff uh, before Mwonga comes back and, and probably gets his shot. It's an interesting one, Mark, isn't it? Uh, you know, be prior to not going on this tour, I, I think you probably would have thought that Richie Moonga was a lock uh, in terms of that position. But we get that reminder of, of Bowden Barrett and uh, just what he has to offer and what he has done for us in the past. Clearly, the signs are still there. What do you make of that 10 jersey now if they were both there and they were playing a World Cup final this weekend? Oh, absolutely. Look, first thing's... Let me just say this, Aaron Smith's not news. It's been dressed up as news today. There's nothing news in that. When they announced last week, uh, Richie Moanga was the only all-black, only stay-at-home all-black heading over um, uh, in time to make it for that last, the very last box week. Let's not forget they have to do two weeks of, of quarantine, hard quarantine when they arrive. Um, that, that was an automatic that Aaron Smith wasn't there. So that's been dressed up as news today, but it's not. His baby's not due until November. He's probably not going to be on the tour either. That's not really news. But anyway, um, yeah, Richie, Richie Moanga versus Bowden Barrett. Uh, intriguing. It really is. Bowden Barrett is coming into fantastic form. I'm a little bit worried about his body. That Remember not so long ago, he, he, he mentioned that he'd been dealing with an Achilles tendon issue that bothers him, has to manage his training workload. 18 months or so he'd been dealing with that. Now we've got this calf that's sort of cropping up. So can he last at the Breipold age of 30? But he is playing fantastic rugby. And right now, I would have that. Bowden Barrett playing the flick out the back pass to Luke Jacobson in that sort of form, Smithy. I would say it's a 50-50 call. Richie Moanga has the more consistent body of work. But Bowden Barrett, as we know, is a world beater on his day. And when he's coming back into this sort of form, he can win you matches. Look, that's a 50-50 call. Either one of those guys does a great job. It's a great luxury for Ian Foster. And if if I was if you held a gun to my head, I'd, I'd say pick Richie Moang. He's younger. I think his body's a bit stronger, and I think he's just more consistent. But I would not be at all disappointed to see Bowden Barrett start a World Cup final for the All Blacks. Guy, we'll just uh, change tune to uh, to, to cricket, um, and it, it, we're hearing through the grapevine that Colin de Gronholm's had a haircut. Um, would that <laughs> necessarily mean? Would that necessarily mean he's going to get double figures uh, this time round, or, or should he even get a chance? Uh, well, geez, that's, uh, the, yeah, the haircut, is, is, uh, that, that blew me away this morning. Geez, he looks completely different. Maybe it will make him a different player. Look, I, I, I think his time's done. Uh, I, know, I know Bangladesh, T20s uh, in Bangladesh, uh, you can't really uh, put too much into that because the pitchers were an absolute dog, and he's obviously not in the first choice selection in terms of T20s because he wasn't in the World Cup squad. And saying that, 
his body of work now over all three formats over the best part, part of the last 12 months has been pretty disappointing. Uh, Daryl Mitchell has been consistently good in that black cap side. You've got Jimmy Neesham there as well. I just think those two guys uh, have, have leapfrogged Tom now. He's been great for New Zealand. Uh, on numerous occasions uh, with bat and ball, but uh, unfortunately I think his time's up and uh, I would say, as I say, across all three formats, I would probably have Mitchell in the test squad, uh, maybe in the one-day squad as well, or fighting out that that, that side of things with, with Jimmy Neesham. But I think, uh, yeah, DeGronholm's days for me uh, are certainly done. Uh, well, are done, if not numbered, at least for, for the Black Caps. Mm, interesting. I tend to agree with you, actually. Uh, our standards are too high to, to permit that kind of run of uh, poor form. Uh, we don't need that, uh, and I think Daryl Mitchell uh, right here and now um, would be my choice uh, if they had to go up against each other, and that's not counting Nisham as well, obviously. So uh, that for that, uh, obviously we've been talking about hints about All Black selection. There's been a hint from Jacinda, uh, Mark Hinton, that you may well um, uh, have an opportunity... <laughs> Uh, at some stage in the future, to either order a takeaway meal or pop out to your favourite <laughs> restaurant. So, in terms of that, let's just put it, finish on a slightly um, uh, more jovial note, shall we? What, what would you? What are you looking about? What are you dreaming about in terms of um, your cuisine requirements when you get released? Oh, Smithy, stop hinting <laughs> at these things. <laughs> this is torture. This is. For those, of, for those who aren't in Auckland, who can eat freely and don't have to cook their own meals every night, you are very lucky. Look, um, yeah, <laughs> undoubtedly, it's, it's something that you dream about at night. What is going to be your first, first meal back in, in the relative freedom of level three slash two or whatever? Um, for me, it's Thai. I dream of, of having my Thai when I've denied my Thai for more than a week. Um, uh, it, it's a good mixture of of health and taste, and when I when I'm denied it, I crave it, crave it like a pregnant woman craves her her marshmallows or whatever. Um, yeah, no, it's Thai for me. I don't know. What what about for you, guy? What do you dream about? Oh, mate, I, I I can't wait for some fresh fish. I'll be going straight to Fishsmith uh, in the Hearn Bay Ponsonby region, the best place for. For fish and for fish tacos and calamari burgers, I'm salivating just at the thought. Oh, my word. I can't wait. Hopefully, hopefully we can get out of this at least into level three uh, next Tuesday because uh, now that you've brought that up, Smithy and Mark, all I want is a little bit of fresh fish uh, on my plate. Okay. Please, please, Okay, please. Guy. Tip for the future, Guy. Uh, if you're looking like going into lockdown again, get some, get some goldfish in. Uh, the, the, other, the other one for me uh, is... <laughs> Mark Hinton, uh, <laughs> if, the, if you don't get out and get your tie very shortly, the All Blacks better play bloody well, hadn't they? Otherwise, the tone of your articles might change. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to let my food, my food denial get me grumpy. Really. I'm trying to stay happy. and my, Luckily, my wife's a very good cook, so I'm getting by. <laughs> good on you, lads. Uh, absolutely fantastic to hear from both of you this morning. That was Guy Havelt, of course, TVNZ, Mark Hinton, who uh, uh, writes uh, some wonderful stuff uh, on stuff too, uh, particularly in, in rugby, and uh, he loves his basketball as well. So, and he now we now know he loves his, his Thai food, and Guy Felt will be at the fish shop first chance. Ten twenty one here on SENZ. That was the panel. Okay, it's uh, ten twenty six here on SENZ, uh, and around about uh, eight minutes time, maybe a bit short of that. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Brody Retallick. 
If you've got a question for Brody, uh, send it in by text now on double eight double three. I'll ask him the best one. There you go. You've got about five or six minutes if you've got a, a decent, worthwhile one about that performance or what he enjoyed most or something along those lines that I won't be asking him and you'd like to hear, uh, text us on double eight double three. Jeremy's come in with supporters also competing against Netflix, PS4, PlayStation 4, of course, Xbox, uh, more than different sports. I can promise you, um, you know, I, I've got a BMX track not too far away from me. That is always full. There's a skate park down the road in the village. That is always full. I go past the, the tennis courts, the rugby fields, no one on them. I, I go past, uh, you know, uh, out at the golf course, there are some youngsters playing golf, but um, not as many as you would like. They, uh, they have a, a juniors course, actually, specially designed for the youngsters to play on while they want to get started. So the facilities are there. It's the desire that isn't there. That, for me, is a, a big issue, John, and uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, every time you, you speak to learned people about it, uh, there's not too def- too many definitive answers come up. No, no. Talking to the tennis CEO this morning, she didn't have too many answers. Our panel for rugby um, didn't have too many answers. And I can tell you with those Xbox and PS5 um, sports, eSports, get the same prize money as Wimbledon, Smithy. So if you're the best uh, video gamer at Fortnite, which is a big video game, if you win the finals of that, I think they had the finals last year, even at Madison Square Garden, 100 people in the final. There were a couple of Kiwis there. The winner gets the same amount of prize money as Wimbledon. So if your kid's sitting there playing PlayStation and you think, oh, you're mucking around, that's not going to take you anywhere. Well, it can take you to a seven-figure payday, Smithy, if you're the best video gamer in the world. So that's where it's heading. Well, I, you know, that, and that to me is, is one of the other concerning factors, John, uh, because the sports we're talking about, mainline sports that are losing numbers, are highly professional sports. Uh, you can make money. If, if you leave school now and become a first-class cricket or a first-class rugby player and then go on to international through a path uh, or a first-class, uh, you know, and, and get to tennis, we can see what tennis players make. We can see what golfers can make. Okay, you have to be uh, in the elite. You have to be very, very good to get to that point. But surely if it's a dream, it's worth pursuing. Uh, and you can make money along the way. You have to make sacrifices, but there's a chance. Uh, and some of these sports you can also... Uh, do in alignment with, with tertiary studies, with other studies. So if it doesn't quite work for you, uh, then you've got that to fall back on. Um, but you don't hear much about it anymore. Yeah, is it the sacrifices? Because they're so big. All the athletes we talk to who make it talk so often about, oh, I couldn't party with my friends anymore. You know, I, I had to go away and, you know, be by myself pretty much in this high-performance environment, give away a lot of things that normal young people do to become this incredible athlete. Is it is that the big barrier that's standing in the way? Like, if you want to become professional, because it is professional, you have to be a professional at a young age. And young people don't want to do that, Smithy, I guess, in the 14 to 19 kind of age group. Um, when it push comes to shove, do you want to move away from your friends and do your own thing and chase this dream where only less than 1% make it? Or do you want to just play for fun and then give it up and just be a normal, regular kid? I'll tell you something else, John. What, what started the downtrend, uh, for me, it started the downtrend. It's unavoidable and you cannot recover from it now. What started it is, is seven-day-a-week trading in this country. Because now, of course, uh, parents have to work or will work seven days a week to make ends meet. Uh, they have to work maybe two, three jobs. It means part-time work in the weekends. Uh, you know, kids want money in their pockets so they can afford the equipment. They want to afford their uh, PS4s, their skateboards, uh, their new bikes. 
Um, they have to work, get jobs at the weekend. When were we previously playing sport and being strong in sport? At the weekend. Now, we can't get away from that. We cannot get away from that. That has happened. But that was when it started for me. And we haven't got the population that overseas countries have uh, to bolster the other numbers. That, for me, was, the, I think, the, the starting point uh, where supervised sport, etc., and parents being into our sport and pushing our young kids to be better and take them to practice, etc., that's when it first stopped happening. 10.30 here on SENZ. For the first time in his storied career, Brody Retallick stands at the front of the All Black Haka. It is 10.33 here on SENZ. Uh, very, very pleased to uh, welcome into the show the man at the forefront of uh, that Haka, Brody Retallick, our 71st All Black captain. The job's been done. Uh, you've come out with a 39-0 win. First of all, uh, take us back to when you found out that you were going to lead the team out. Yeah, morning, Em. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I, I got a, a text from a text from Fozzie, and you know, sort of generally before the night, before the team gets named. If you played the week before, he kind of gives you a heads up that you won't be named. And so I got a text from Fozzie, "Can you come and see me?" Um, so I went down to his room and <laughs> kind of thinking that maybe I wasn't playing last week, and uh, walked in and he said, oh, Artie's head still no good, so I'm not going to play him this week, and you'll be captain. Congratulations. And, uh, that was it, pretty much. <laughs> so, well, what was your what was your reaction to that then? Uh, I mean, go back to your room and, and start texting around uh, the, the family, etc. I suppose, first thing? Yeah, it was actually quite late with, um, being when we were in Perth. Uh, we were still up in Perth, so we were kind of four hours behind you during time. So, yeah, I just went back to the room and... Um, I was quite lazy, John, so I didn't tell mum, dad, or my wife till the next day. Um, I let them know, but yeah, obviously I, I was pretty excited. And um, yeah, you played that little bit of audio of being out in front of the hucker, and yeah, that was pretty special. And something that I won't forget um, too quickly was being at the front of the hucker and leading the boys out. So, uh, did it affect uh, the way you, you prepared? I mean, you're obviously very professional and what you do, very thorough, but did it? What what did it do to inside the head to know that you're actually going to be making some decisions at the weekend, not just performing your call, your key role? Yeah, I guess I had to put a little bit more thought into some decision making. But um, yeah, with Bodie and TJ and those boys there, obviously they're on hand to help and and wise wise. Um, I guess I was just a little bit more nervous about being the leader for the weekend. You know, you had a bit more responsibility. Of, like you say, leading from the front, but um, all in all, it wasn't too much different on you. If I just got out there and did my role, then um, that, that would be all I w- was required. I spoke to you uh, after the test match at Eden Park, and you, you know you, you felt that you're on track. You're, you're getting back out of uh, Japanese rugby, back to the demands of All Black rugby. Uh, do you feel as if you're pretty much there now, Brody? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely starting to feel a bit more comfortable and. Getting a bit more fitness and um, game fitness and things like that. I've, there's always things um, trying to improve, especially with you know, we'll get forward hands, some opportunities that I would, would have liked to take with some passes. But um, yeah, I think on the whole, I'm reasonably happy with how it's going at the moment. Uh, on reflection of, of that performance, 39 0, 
Um, what did what did you make of uh, now that you? I, I know you've done uh, countless media interviews straight after the game, but just reflecting on it uh, two or three days later as you prepare as a unit for the next one. What what have you what have you taken from it, and uh, what are you looking to perhaps as a unit to improve on? Yeah, there was obviously some really pleasing stuff um, come out of it, and you know. The, the Argentinians are a hard team to score against, so we're obviously pleased with the 39-0 and, and keeping them um, scoreless. Um, was awesome. You know, looking at the review and some of the tape, I think there were some opportunities that um, we did miss, and there's probably three or four of them where you know we did the opportunity to score more tries and tidy up some skill sets. So you know we're looking to build on that performance last week and be able to do it again this week and maybe just be a touch more clinical in some areas. No Sam Lightlock uh, for the rugby championship because of arrival times and quarantine, etc. Uh, so, man, it puts a, a bit more emphasis on, on the group of locks that you've got there, and in particular, Tupuvai getting some valuable game time. What can you tell us uh, about the development of uh, your 21-year-old Chiefs teammate? Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. You know, obviously, you know, with Sam being away and um, I think Scott's been playing outstanding the last couple of weeks. You know, he's a couple of back-to-back starts, so it's been awesome for him. And then, like you say, Tupo, um, he's been working hard, and obviously he's got a great skill set. He's a, he's a big boy, like he's a big body. So, um, yeah, I think when he gets his opportunity, because everyone's going to get an opportunity with five games in a row, then um, I look forward to him taking it. He's got a great skill set, and he carries the ball hard, so... Gets a gets a line out of the scrum right. And I think it's got a big future. In terms of um, of that five game and no one wanting to or being wanted to to, to play for those, that, do you prefer to play? I mean, probably not your option. Do you prefer to play each week, or does your body telling you even now that a spell might be good? Yeah, well, you know, it's a tough one because you, you've got these five games. We've also got a two week break and then go up to. The, the states in Europe for another five games, so it's ten games inside fifteen on weeks, I think. So I guess everyone, you know, no one kind of doesn't want to play, but at times you're going to have to take a bit of a rest or so, somewhere along the line. But if it's on the bench, you not play. So um, whenever that happens, you know, you just have to use it wisely and make sure that when you do get another go, that you're ready to go. So um, it's a, it's a very interesting time with these five test matches in a row. So. Everyone's working hard, but there are some sore bodies starting to go around. So I guess it just is what it is at the moment. The thing about the Pumas is that they're pretty proud. Um, they're pretty unpredictable too. Um, it's, uh, I think the last two tests you've played against them, they haven't scored a point. 77 uh, unanswered points. Um, what are you expecting from what you felt last week uh, with them on the park and what you think they might respond with this week? Yeah, I guess that, yeah, that, that would... Um, Kind of hurting any team is when you get held scoreless. So I think you know, we we managed to keep the ball for long periods of time and, and wear them down. I, I think they made like 248 tackles to get to about 100 of ours. So I'm guessing maybe they will try and keep the ball a little bit more and, and play some more rugby when they get the opportunities. I think um, yeah we we just managed to score and put some pressure on them more and you know, they got yellow carded. So they'll be looking to tidy that up. I'm guessing and then and then uh, put some pressure back on us. So did you did you watch the Springboks? What was the post-match like? I mean, normally you have, you have debriefs and, you know, you sit down and maybe spend some time with the opposition. 
Uh, but of course, the Springboks in Australia were on straight afterwards. Did, did you take that in, or have you taken it in since? Um, we, we we watched a little bit just when we got back to the hotel. I think I saw it like the last twenty minutes, but because of the the double headers and there's only the change room facilities and stuff like that, we actually had to get out of there pretty quickly because we were kind of sharing them with the South Africans, especially like the toilet and shower space. So, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of an agreement to be respectful to each other is kind of get out of each other's way while one's preparing to start a test and the other one's finishing. So, yeah, we did get out of there quickly. We didn't really see anyone else, but, um, yeah, we caught the last sort of 20 minutes once we were back at the hotel. Uh, we've asked... Uh Texters uh, to come in. Once they actually come in, they must know you pretty well. Uh, what kind of car are you working on at the moment? Now, this will be news to me. <laughs> oh, the holding's not going at the moment. Still waiting for a motor to turn up, so uh, it's, not, it's not too much of a rush. Obviously, been away for quite a while, so I'll worry about that in December. Okay, that's uh, the other thing. And uh, you're golfing today, whereabouts, and what are you playing off? <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, I'm a beginner golfer, let's just say. So I think we're heading up to somewhere by Sanctuary Cove. It's about half an hour away from where we are, and um, Bodie's organised it. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be playing off a handicap of 30. So hopefully, I'll be able to sneak, sneak a few points off a few of these boys. And just finally, you may or may not have the weekend off. We'll find that later on in the week. But Hawks Bay won't. They're defending against Bay of Plenty. So a message of goodwill, please, for your black and white teammates. Yeah, it's going to be great to see Bunnings back on TV and obviously, you know, the battle with the Bays and the Shield is on the line. So um, I wish for the, all the boys, the, I wish the boys all the best for the weekend and hopefully um, they can hang on to it for a little bit longer and, and it'll be great to see Rugby back on the TV in New Zealand. Always great chatting to you, Brody. Thanks very much. Um, uh, enjoy your day off. Enjoy the golf. Sanctuary Coast pretty cool up there. So yeah, I, I imagine... Um, it will be very enjoyable, and uh, if you get a breather this weekend, enjoy that as well. Um, congratulations again of being uh, another all-black captain, a proud moment. Cheers, man. No worries. Thanks very much. Yeah, Brady Retallick uh, always makes himself available to us too, and that is one of his other great traits. He's very approachable, very open, and um, a really good advertisement, I think, uh, for the all-blacks. Uh, double eight, double three. Texts are coming in. Uh, uh, thick and fast about uh, how you feel about uh, junior sport and which direction it's heading at the moment. It seems perhaps not the right way. And then after that, of course, uh, before 11 o'clock, Louis Herman Watt and a visit to the TAB. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, and it's 10.48 too on SENZ. Uh, text coming in from Josh. Uh, very interesting and revealing one, actually. The lack of club feel for junior sport has been the biggest handbrake on traditional sports with parents being the only coaches that has to fit into when they are free to take practice, which is often in the evening rather than straight after school. Having helped coach cricket, soccer and hockey for a couple of schools over the couple of year, last couple of years, uh, we've felt like a, a club of one. I've also been uh, the junior coordinator for a surf life saving club for the same time period, and our numbers have risen by 300, get this, 300%. I put that down to it being all held at all the same time, so the kids know their mates will be at the same venue, even if they are in a different grade. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that. Josh, that's an outstanding text. Look, it's a subject, folks, that we're not going to lie down with. And now that we've uh, sort of entered it somewhat and we've been fringing around it, we might go back to schools and see uh, how far back does this problem go uh, in terms of participation 
the direction of uh, where they're sending kids, the compulsion to have to play sport, uh, is that still something that's there? Um, and w- what is the fight like? Uh, and I think it is a fight at the moment, and the reflection is later in life. 10.49 here on SCNZ. When we come back, we're uh, going to go to uh, Louis Herman Watt, of course, uh, about uh, some thoroughbred issues. But uh, we're going to spend a bit more time with the TAB because they've got an interesting concept coming up that you may get some enjoyment out of. Ian Smith on SCNZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Very, very close to getting scratched yourself there, John. I've got to say, with that particular late entry into the, the segment, Louis Herman Watt uh, is here courtesy. Where do you find Love these non starters, Smithy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hey, there's a few. There's a few today at Cambridge. I noticed they're racing around uh, Louis the Seven, beginning uh, around twelve twenty-one. You've got a tip for elusive capital in the first, courtesy of uh, Izzy and uh, Sam Spratt. What else you got going today? Yeah, and massive shout out and welcome to our Waikato listeners on nine fifty-four AM. It's so good to have everybody travelling to the races today. No doubt on your way to Cambridge, tuned into SCNZ. How good is it to have you there? Uh, well, the, the, as Paul Mawati will tell you, there's two bonus back races, one and two. We've got one in the first, as you say, Spratty's ride. I think Flag Hunter for Pikey, the local. I looked at this trial just before I came on here, and it was a lovely trial for this Bay Gelding. Uh, Sam Collett, senior jock up from a good barrier. I think it jumps, and um, I trust Sam Sam in kind of these kind of midweek meetings. I think she's always dialed in and ready to go well. And a couple out later on in the card to have a look at, well, Maddie Cameron tipped us Eagle Tarzan in race five that's number four and I'm interested again in following Matty I reckon he might be able to get a little back to back Pretty Rossa um, was good here last start gets Barry one for Lauren Brennan so should be competitive and that is race number six number four okay I like race seven as well Matty Cameron um, with uh, the Chris Gibbs trained horse Parker Lewis drawn the ace a uh, little bit of uh, support for it in the betting form. Last form of this campaign, six in a second. So, uh, Louis, I'll be uh, in with that. Now I'm going to go straight across to the... Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Our supercars uh, legend Greg Murphy has decided to join the SENZ family. Uh, we are the lucky ones for that. The four-time Bathurst winner will team up with Stephen McIver every Thursday night from 7 till 9 to bring you race control. And uh, Murph has uh, been good enough to give us some of his time this morning. Time uh, this Murph, morning. Um, uh, Murph, um, and I, I just wonder, Murph, uh, what are you looking forward to about, uh, it won't be McIver, but uh, in terms of bringing us that yeah, news. In terms of bringing us that news. Oh mate, I, I think uh, just being able to go a little bit more in depth on um, on the sport that uh, I love and and MacGyver's growing growing to love and and you know get uh, different um, perspectives from experts and other people around the world, drivers and and uh, talk all motorsport uh, in in depth. You know, I mean, I, I I enjoy all motorsport all the way through from rallying motorbikes, Formula One. You know, indie cars, supercars. It's it's um, it's all intriguing at the moment. There's plenty going on, and and I think um, you know we we've got so many fans in New Zealand that uh, love the sport and and want to engage more about it, mate. So this gives us the opportunity to on a pretty good time frame to to be able to do it. So I'm I, I'm really looking forward to it. 
exciting news coming through, Murph, um, in terms of uh, Bathurst and, and a very full program, which apparently has just been finalised. Been finalised. Yeah, I just actually caught up with that myself, mate. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a coup, really, because it, it's ended up having um, you know sort of a couple of championships come together. Um, so another championship, the uh, the TCR Championship, which is one which is run by a, a completely separate group organisation, which has a bunch of support categories. Um, you know, supercars and, and ARG, the other group, have have come together and realised that the sport needs to be put first in this case. And and both series are struggling to be able to operate at the moment under all the COVID issues. So they've they've come together and formed a festival, which is going to operate um, towards the end of I think it's the 30th of November through to the 5th of December at uh, Bathurst, um, 10 categories over six days and uh, hailing it as a, you know, a festival and a, and a, and a major thing, obviously, for the fans. So um, it's been pushed out. Bathurst 1000 has been pushed out again to December, um, which is interesting. It's never been run in December before, obviously, and, and so that's pretty pretty awesome uh, that they've, you know, committed to it. New South Wales government are, are working towards, you know, creating, um, you know, certain protocols and space around the COVID situation to hopefully have crowd there and and celebrate the end of the year with uh, a sort of a, a monstrosity of, of uh, motorsport at uh, at the mountain. So, yeah, fingers crossed it all from here on goes towards some sort of plan and, and it all uh, goes ahead smoothly. I, try, I would imagine, Murph, that you'd be desperately keen to be part of it, but um, still we've got these issues about getting home. So is it still just a dream for you or a, a, a pipe dream sort of a thing and not a reality? Reality? Mate, I think I think there's a tiny, tiny little candlelight at the end of a tunnel at the moment, um, still sort of just burning. But you know, it, it's still going to be tough. I, I mean, we do have a little bit more time, and obviously, what happens in Auckland in the, the next couple of weeks is, is going to be uh, a big part of what we can do moving forward. If we are allowed to have some sort of home quarantine, um, home isolation situation. Uh, coming back from Australia, something like that, with full vaccination, which I'm about to do now, um, then maybe maybe it's going to be possible. But but you know, I'm not, there's no chance of getting through the MIQ process and, and getting a spot and having it on the right time and to make that happen. And and to be honest, mate, I can't, I can't justify sitting in in a in a hotel for two weeks um, just to be over there for a few days doing that event. I mean, I, I really want to be there. It's, it, it will be awesome. And and if the wild card for me and Richie Stanaway can't happen this year then we will just work towards maybe trying to do it next year but um yeah it's, it's still a little bit uh, early to make the the call on it um fingers crossed in terms of the title uh shane van gisbergen uh, has he basically got it wrapped up i i think so from here i mean what a challenge for all those guys um you know the, the rhythm has gone again for them all and i think that probably does pay and work into the favor of shane more so uh, when they do get back into action, which hopefully is going to be next month, they're looking at having a couple of back to uh, sort of uh, double headers, uh, one in Queensland um, and then one in uh, in Sydney and New South Wales towards the end of November before they go to Bathurst. So, sort of four more uh, uh, sort of normal races and then the finale at, at the 1000. But you know, I think as I say, I think it'll work in his favour a little bit more. The, this big gap and the fact that a lot of teams and drivers will lose lose that rhythm, he'll fall back into strength uh, very, very quickly. Um, so I would say so. I'm just hopeful that they get to have, you know, um, a decent run to the finish um, again after mm. after such a, 
you know, struggled season. Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver have uh, got a show here on SENZ. 7 till 9, folks, it's called Race Control. I'll be crossing the whole motor racing spectrum uh, as they look at events uh, coming up and, and those that have just been. I, I want to talk a, a little bit now, Murph, if we can, about Formula One. Uh, we saw a McLaren 1-2 finish at Monza. Um, can you remember the last time that happened? Uh, a 1-2 was, I, I think I saw the statistic on that one the other day, it was 2010. So 11 years ago, they haven't won a race since 2012. Um, just a monumentous sort of shift uh, and change and, and awesome for McLaren to finally get back into that, that winner's rostrum, um, you know, with such a connection with New Zealand and, and so many people and fans over here, you know, still supporting McLaren Formula One uh, to see Danny Ricciardo, who is just an absolute legend of a, of a bloke and such a decent human and, and someone that I think people love to see winning and, and having success, uh, to see him stand on top of that step and top step and do the shoey and celebrate um, was, a, was a massive milestone for the, the sport, McLaren, and also for Daniel Ricciardo. So, uh, yeah, and he was out front. I mean, at the end of the day, there was no question about, you know, I think the deserved victory there. Um, he was uh, off the front row, managed to get the lead, was pretty comfortable at the front. So, you know, all the drama that was going on behind, um, you know, I think he had it under control. And I don't think regardless of... Uh, the, the crash with Verstappen and Hamilton, I don't I don't think that was going to affect it. I think he was going to win that race. Uh, they're saying that that halo system potentially saved Hamilton's life. Uh, tell us a wee bit about that, and would you agree with that? Yeah. Listen, it's it, always hard to say. They love to sensationalise those things, and, and Lewis has jumped on that bandwagon, um, as he does, um, uh, pretty quickly. There's potential that it did. Um, uh, uncertain, because you don't know... Uh, unless it wasn't there, but definitely it probably did change the outcome, I would say. And it's interesting because I, I was never really a big fan of that whole halo thing, but it has actually, by the you know, potentially had a couple of circumstances, and this is the latest one where uh, it may have changed the outcome uh, for a driver in one of those cars. And, um, you know, it, it's there to stay, and, and uh, we've all got used to it now, and there's no more chat about it, and it, and it has been a positive addition as far as safety goes. So it was a very interesting scenario, an interesting crash, and, and um, but I think it's what is great about it is we've got these rivalries building, and so for the sport it's absolutely awesome to have, um, you know, two unbelievably good drivers, one who is probably the greatest of all time and, and one that's uh, potentially going to grab that mantle from Hamilton in the future, battling it out the way they are, and... Um, you know, there's clearly a bit of angst between the teams and the drivers, and that's sensational for the sport. Um, it's just, you know, we, we need to have that uh, that bit of sensationalism and, and controversy going on, and it it's, uh, creates creates good chat. Murph, let's uh, pop across if we can to IndyCar, because, of course, we've got a tremendous Kiwi interest in that. Now, Alex uh, Palou was uh, the winner at the weekend. He sits on 477 points, so he's got a handy lead over Scott Dixon, their teammates. So... I guess you've got to ask the question, uh, will Scott Dixon, could he, could he bridge the gap or will he be allowed to in terms of team protocols? How do you see that shaping up? Oh, that's, an, that's open. I mean, uh, Chip Ganassi won't uh, put a restriction on that until, until you know, very late in the piece when it's, it's you know, uh, when, it, when it's a, a lose-lose situation for the team. And at the moment, it's, it's not near that. I think Alex Palau is, uh, you know, very much a future of the sport. 
Um, Dixon is a wily fox, and you never, ever discount him until the bitter end. Um, he's managed to win championships right at the end before and come on strong at the end. His, you know, his statistics and success are, are just incredible. So, yeah, Ganassi's in a pretty amazing position right now. Um, you know, he's got the, the greatest, almost, uh, in Scott Dixon. And then, you know, again, the future coming through as well, signed up on the, uh, for the Ganassi team. So it's, it's been an amazing championship, so incredibly competitive. Um, you know, and we've, you know, obviously Scott McLaughlin's in there too, uh, finding it you know, such a challenge because of how competitive it is at the moment in that, that series. So it's been a, a, an awesome series to watch, and I've got a couple of rounds left. Uh, Long Beach coming up in a couple of weeks, which is always a, a pretty um, uh, momentous occasion for IndyCar. Yeah, and Laguna Seca this weekend as well. So uh, having had just had a fortnight off and got back into it at Portland. So uh, McLaughlin currently sits at 13th, uh, 268 points. Uh, some good finishes would see him into the top 10, which would be an amazing first year. Would, would that give him a Rookie of the Year type award? Yeah, he, yeah he's leading, though, that um, that situation at the moment. Uh, sort of his challenges there haven't done the full... Uh, some of them haven't done the full season. Uh, Romain Grosjean, who's, uh, been, who's come in there after finishing his Formula 1 career, um, hasn't been doing the ovals. He's done one oval, whereas uh, Scott's been doing the full season. So he, he is doing incredibly well. For someone that, you know, hasn't got a, a single-seater background, um, you know, his his results and where he's been, how he's been managing that whole process is, you know, I think it's just been spectacular. Um, he wants more and he wants to be better. But, um, you know, when you consider who he's up against and their experience and... You know, he's learning all these tracks and bits and pieces. It's, uh, it's, I think he should be very proud of what he's achieved. Murph, just to, to finish on, on um, a slightly more personal tastes watch, what, what's your preferred watch in terms of motor racing now? Is it, is it still with, you know, the supercars, etc. because you know so many of the people, you know what the, the, the tracks, etc. Is that your preferred watch or do you branch out a wee bit wider? Uh, no, I definitely branch out. I, I, I'll be... Completely honest, at the moment I'm, I'm transfixed with IndyCar because it is uh, the challenges there are just phenomenal, and how close that series is. But I honestly can't get enough of MotoGP. MotoGP, uh, the Dorna who run that series have just got the best set of regulations for motorsports out of I think out of pretty much nearly any sport that uh, there exists because it's creating so many different winners, uh, different podiums pretty much every week. Um, and just uh, you know, the most the close, very the closeness of MotoGP um, is just phenomenal. And the racing with those guys doing what they do on those motorbikes is just staggering. I mean, um, you know, Mark Marquez has had a had a, a struggle over since he got injured last year, and and but he rode on the weekend one of the most incredible rides at Aragon uh, to finish second to um, uh, Pico Bagnaia, who's who had his first win ever on a MotoGP bike for Ducati, and it was just just phenomenal to watch two blokes absolutely at the, at the height of their careers, um, you know, doing what they're doing on motorcycles, sometimes up to 340 kilometres an hour. You know, so I, I'm a big fan of that and I appreciate their skill level. But, you know, there's so much good stuff going on in, at the moment in the world of motorsport. Are you a car collector or a memorabilia collector, mate? No, not, I, I would be a car collector if I could um, justify and, 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 you know, Talk the uh, the good wife into letting me do it, but um, I've got a couple of cars, but and, and I'm not a memorabilia collector actually. Um, I've got a few models and bits and pieces of special cars, and I've got a you know a bit of a collection of all my cars um, in the smaller model form. Um, but uh, mm. um, 
you know, I do enjoy cars and I love understanding and reading and learning and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I haven't got a haven't got a, a full of them, unfortunately. Okay, Murph, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, that's seven to nine uh, Thursday nights with Stephen McIver uh, when uh, they will take a look at, at everything in terms of motor racing. We just got a great uh, a great roundup from Murph there personally, anyway. So. Uh, Murph, uh, thanks so much for that. I uh, look forward to listening to that show tomorrow night. It's uh, 11.16 here on SENZ. Uh, time for maybe some texts from you guys. Uh, 88-88-33-88-33. Uh, whatever combination you like for that. 0800-150-811. Uh, in Wanaka, are you, Dylan? Dylan, are you there? Hello. Are you there, mate? Yeah. What part yeah. of... Yeah, what part of Central Otago are you in? My name's Tim. I'm in Mount Wellington. Oh, Tim in Mount oh. Wellington. I've gone to the wrong guy. See you, Tim. Dylan, Central <laughs> Otago. How are you, mate? Yeah, how you going, mate? Oh, yeah, there good. we go. There we go. And you're a genuine Central Otago person. You're not, you know, yes, absconding yes, from am, Auckland. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> no, mate. No, no, not my holiday home or anything like that. No, no. And which part of Central <laughs> Otago are you in? Uh, I'm in Alexandra. Alexandra, Alex, beautiful part of New Zealand. Must be heating up there too nicely. Yeah. Well, the way it works, Dylan, is you get three sporting categories. You choose one, then you get three questions right. You win 50 bucks, but if you get a question wrong, then Smithy can stump you and you can leave with nothing. So, your sports okay, today. Good. Cricket, basketball and golf. What are you going to go for? Oh, I've got cricket. Cricket, give it a go. On Smithy's in the mood yeah. for a stumping, so good luck to you. Thank you. All right. Cricket questions. First question. You may have heard this guy, Don Bradman. He had a test batting average of 99.94. Second on the all-time list of averages is another Australian. Who is it? I'd say Ricky Ponting. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. He's bloody good, Ricky Ponting, but he's not second on the all-time list of averages. Smithy, your chance for a stumping. Uh, look, I'm, I'm kind of tempted to think that he's, he's a current player. Um, and I've got two in mind. I've got Steve Smith in mind, and I've got Manus Lubbershane in mind. I'm going to go, I'm going to go... It's Steve Smith. He's got him. He's out caught. Nah, Steve Smith, number three on the list. This guy is quite forgotten because he only played 20 tests. But Adam Voges, with an average of 61.87, is second on the all-time list of averages in test cricket, which is quite amazing. Adam Voges. So you're still alive, Dylan? Nice, nice. All right, we just talked about these guys, actually. Pakistan duo Wazi Makram and Wakar Yunus were one of the best pace bowling combinations world cricket's ever seen. Who took the most wickets and who had the better average? Now, the answer's not the same for both of these. So first, who had the most wickets out of those two? And second, who had the better average out of Akram and Yunus? I'd say uh, Walker Yunus took more wickets than uh, Akram had a better average. One of the worst things... I have ever seen oh, no. um, on a cricket field. Not good, not good, Dylan. Smithy, another <laughs> chance. <laughs> so that means I can't lose, doesn't it? Potentially. So who had the most wickets? Who had the better average? Well, 
Akram had uh, Akram had the most wickets. Eunice had the best average. Surely. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Unlucky, Dylan. Sorry, mate. A bit of a stitch up yeah. there, but give us another go yeah, another day. Yeah, that's not fair. No, no, life's <laughs> yeah, not fair. Guys. Good man. Now, Tim, redemption. I went to you first. No wonder you were confused. You're from Mount Wellington. Welcome yeah, back. Yeah, mate, no worries. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you already. <laughs> well, you're way more forgiving than uh, Smithy is. He hasn't forgiven me for a lot of things. But we'll get on to question number three. Get it right. You will win 50 bucks from the TAB. Your question is... The Black Caps are currently ranked number one in Test cricket and number one in ODI cricket, but where are they ranked in T20s? Uh, I think they're up there. Um, or they down there. I'll say fourth. Yeah. Right in the slot, and away it goes. You have smashed that Damn. to the boundary. Well done, Smithy. Damn. You missed out on the second stumping. Yeah, I have actually. I go back to that original one uh, about uh, Adam Voges. I, look, mate, I could have emptied the keg. I'd never have got that. I'd have been there all night. So I, I don't feel too bad about missing on that one. But hey, Tim, outstanding effort. Yo. Well done. You'll be getting. Stay on the line, my friend. And uh, uh, John, he'll never do that to you again. Uh, he will never Thanks, cut mate. you off and pass like that again. Stay on the line. We'll get your details, Tim. Uh, well done. You are a winner here. And Stump Smithy, you get that 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers. 11.37 here on SENZ. Um, it's just about time for our comic spot of the week. And this morning, we're going to catch up with a fellow by the name of Alan McElroy, a Kiwi Irishman. A Kiwi Irishman who's got a weird football team that he supports with that background. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Favourite thing about New Zealand is Maori culture. Because being from Ireland, we have a lot of similarities. We share rich cultures full of storytelling, songs and art, especially when it comes to tattoos. I got this tattoo recently, it's a harp, it's a symbol, it's a symbol of Ireland, Leinster and Guinness. <laughs> but an idiot doing the tattoo thought it was a radiator. <laughs> he said, why are you getting a radiator tattooed on your arm? <laughs> so jokingly I said, to keep me warm in winter. <laughs> and he said, great idea, bro, because sometimes when I'm cold, I forget my coat. <laughs> and that was a weird conversation, but it got weirder, it got weirder. I seen him two weeks later, and he couldn't wait to show me his new tattoo. He got a small portable gas cooker tattooed on his arm. <laughs> he said, you can't bring your radiator to the beach, can you? Nope, genius, and just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, that is uh, Alan McElroy, folks. Uh, good morning to you, Alan. Welcome to the show. Uh, an Irishman, obviously. Uh, yeah, an Irishman now uh, um, uh, and a, a dyed-in-the-wool Kiwi, I would imagine, along with that. Let's clear, clear oh, up guess, uh, one I thing. I got ship. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just clear up one thing. Um, McElroy, we associate uh, Rory, of course, uh, but you're McElroy yeah. with an E, so no relation there, but... Um, are you a McElroy no fan? Mm. Uh, I've, yeah, I'm a fan of anyone that's from the island. Uh, so uh, you wish them well, and it's great to see it's great to see him doing well. You don't expect anyone to uh, be great at sports coming from Ireland, <laughs> you know. So when someone does well, uh, you're quite proud. What brought you to here? What brought you from Dublin to to New Zealand, mate? 
came over, uh, other than a plane, came over with my ex who had family here. So uh, I was in Vancouver for a year before that, uh, and I uh, I was ready to move. So uh, Auckland came up, well, Hamilton, but I didn't stay there too long. And then Auckland, and I've been here for years, I think. 10 years, 11 years. So uh, Irish can, the Irish people generally can make... Uh, uh, make the most of most situations. Uh, what are you, what are you making out of level four uh, again, mate? Level four, ah, oh, it's I because before we went into lockdown, I was I was touring around uh, New Zealand with a Scottish comedian, and we're doing an Irish and Scottish show. So I was out every night, so it was hard to hit the brakes. So I've been cooking. I started cooking and making videos and sharing them on social media, funny cooking videos. And I host comedy quizzes live every Tuesday. And because of that, I was getting some private work, some, some businesses that wanted some fun over Zoom. Zoom is a nightmare, but if it's, if it's keeping us busy and it's helping to pay the bills, then I'm all for it. But yeah, I've been busy every day. It's great. Alan, how do we, ca how do we catch up with some of your work then? What's our best avenue? Ah. Oh. Instagram I use a lot. Instagram I use more than anything else. Facebook, so Alan McElroy, Al underscore McElroy on Instagram. And uh, just, just I make a lot of silly videos and use the dog and just comedy bits, mainly to keep me busy. Uh, because the last lockdown came, obviously, as a shock. So, and I did the quizzes online to keep me sane, you know, to give me a structure and a routine. And then the feedback I got from people that did the quiz was that it helped them with their mental health. And this lockdown seems to be a bit tougher for most people. So every Tuesday, last night, there's a lot of people on Facebook Live and we're all having a drink together, cracking jokes. These people don't know each other. They're all over New Zealand and some in Ireland. And everyone's just having fun and joining in. And that, that helps. That's a, that's, that's a great distraction. Sounds fantastic. Sounds really, really cool, man. Uh, hey, listen, uh, yeah, I do know a little bit about your, your background. Uh, you are uh, a Liverpool fan? A Liverpool fan? I am indeed. What's that? Yes. Yeah? It's a great, it's a great accolade to have as a human being. Uh, I love it. And now, and now we're playing well again. So we went through... Because I, I started supporting Liverpool uh, because of the Liverpool players that played for Ireland. Obviously, I'm a massive Republic of Ireland fan, or especially I was when I was a kid. So because of the Irish players playing for uh, Liverpool, Liverpool was the obvious choice for me. But then, as I became a teenager, it was Manchester United for years. So it was only amazing uh, for Liverpool to start winning again and being back to where they should be. Oh, you'd have been, uh, as a former Manchester United fan, you'd have been thrilled, <laughs> I guess, uh, to see Ronaldo back. Ronaldo back oh, in the jersey. yeah. I'm so happy. Do you know how much I love that man, especially when he scored two goals against Ireland last week when we were about to win for the first time in 10 games with our new manager. Ronaldo, I hate, I ha you shouldn't say hate, I can't stand him, but you can't ignore how good he is, you know. And he's 36. 36 and he's still running past players and beating players. But uh, they lost this morning, so I'm happy. I'm waiting for the highlights to come up on Spark Sport just to watch it and have a drink. And celebrate, <laughs> they, and they, they believe this or not, you know anyway. But they lost to a, a, a team called Young Boys at Wankdorf yeah, Stadium. 
at, yeah, at Wankwall yeah. Stadium. Yeah. It's, I know nothing mental, about that team. Uh, yeah, Young Boys of Bear. The I think they changed the name. I think it used to be Young Boys of Bear, and I think they changed it. But it's still Young Boys. They're always going to be called Young Boys. And that's just the way it is, you know, playing against Young Boys. But, uh, no, it's tomorrow morning I'm looking forward to. So the alarm is set uh, to wake up and watch uh, Liverpool against AC Milan. That's going to be a good game. It will be a good game. Uh, hey, listen, uh, what about, uh, I- I've got to ask you, an All Blacks fan at all? Uh, I've, you know, uh, I-, I-, I like the atmosphere uh, at times, but I've, I've I've been to the, you know, the World Cup games when I was here. Uh, obviously, I supported Ireland. Uh, but All Blacks, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard one for me because I, I live here. But they win all of the time. And it's very hard... It's very hard to support someone that is just unbeatable, you know. So if they lose, it's exciting. But there was a time because my daughter is eight, and uh, a few years ago Ireland bet the All Blacks. I think it was in Chicago, and I was over the moon, and she was crying because she identified as an All Blacks fan when she was six or five years old, and she said, "That's not fair. You're picking on me, and you're picking on the All Blacks." I'm like, you don't understand. You never lose. You know? You never lose. So it's exciting when there's a close game. But if you win by 20, 30, 40 points, it's a bit hard, you know, to, to support it. Hurling? What about hurling? Miss it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to play it once and I got a smack in the face uh, with the ball and I never <laughs> played it again. It's the ball, right? The ball is made out of cork. So it's wood and it's wrapped in leather to soften it down. But the stitches are on the outside. And hurling wasn't in my school, but we campaigned to get hurling brought in. And the school is in a kind of rough area. So giving 15 kids sticks and to chase around a wooden ball was a bad idea. So it never caught on in the school because of fights and, and, and stuff. But watching it is amazing. I don't miss, I'd never want to play it again. And I've seen hurling players and they're missing eyeballs and four teeth in their head and half an ear bitten off. <laughs> So I, it's not a game I, I wanted to play because I've seen the, uh, the, out, the outcome. But I do, I watch it every now and again when I can. And a lot of my friends here are from Limerick uh, and they, they're obsessed. So I'd watch it with them. Same as watching the All Blacks. I'll watch it with fans to, to join in the atmosphere, you know, to jump on the bandwagon. Alan, you seem like a, a hell of a good bloke to have a beer with. Uh, I'd, I'd really want to do that one day, but I can't at the moment because you can't have a beer outside of your house. Uh, listen, just can, once more, please, garden. how can we contact yeah. you? Uh, if you look me up, Alan McElroy, A-L-A-N-M-C-E-L-O-O-Y, or on Instagram, Al underscore McElroy, or on Facebook, comedian Alan McElroy. I have a website as well. It's my name, Alan McElroy, mm. uh, com. So any of those, and uh, when we're back out of lockdown, we'll have a drink, and I'll get back on the road and do more gigs. Look forward to it, and if you're ever in the Hawke's Bay area, mate, I'm coming to see you. Sound like a a gem of a comedian to me, and and great company, as I said. Uh, That was Alan McElroy, folks. Uh, He was our Joker uh, segment of the week. Uh, I love that accent, and I love the stories, (laughs) and those hurling guys uh, with four teeth and one eyeball. Uh, 11.52am here on SENZ uh, Short break and then it's Staffy time, almost heading into the Afternoons. Safe hands, it's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 
It is 11.57 here, and uh, the smile, uh, not too many smiles out of Auckland at the moment, but there's a massive one in our studio here at SENZ because, again, again, the mighty Manawa 2 Turbos have a halfback first five combination who are all blacks. Unbelievable just scenes. amazing, amazing news, staff. <laughs> That certainly perked me up this morning. Uh, the first thing I do is check the Two Turbo's Facebook page every morning. And then I saw the joyous news, Smithy, that Aaron Smith, partnering with Brett Cameron, look out rugby in New Zealand, the green machine are firing up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And he said he's available. He can't wait. He could play as many as five games, Steph, as many as five games. Wow. Played two two last year, got two tries against the Targo. Remember them fondly? Would you like me to run through them for you, Smithy? Oh, no, I better not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I imagine, I imagine you'll have him on your bucket list to call at some stage as he uh, settles back into that magnificent uniform. Well, I did message him this morning, uh, but I've been usurped by Drive. He's on with Drive this afternoon. Um, they, won't, oh. they won't be as passionate as me, uh, but hey-ho, you know, I'll be listening in. Another reason to listen to Drive, Smithy. No, 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 I want to listen to you, Steph. So why, what am I listening to today, mate? Oh, now, you always say you've got a full show. This is probably the fullest show I've ever had, so I'll rattle through them. Dame Nolene Taurua on the um, unsettling selection process she's going to uh, embark on. Paul Tito is joining us, who's just been uh, poached by the Western Force to go and coach there. Katie Duncan, former football fern, on uh, exciting news for women footballers in New Zealand. Wayne Goldsmith, who is our coaching guru and to o Pafarangi who who is the Maori commentary guru for Sky for rugby and it's Maori language week so looking forward to a chat with him okay um, multilingual chat this afternoon with staff I look forward to that uh, as well so yeah Mark Stafford from uh, 12 to 4 this afternoon thank you very much Trudy great as always prefer your uh, Hurricanes ensemble today uh, and also to, to Brian, outstanding as well, and JD, apart from cutting them off. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi Very for good. sport.